Let's go in-depth on all things Hawkeyes. This, this is Hawk, Hawk Central. Central. On Des Moines Sports Station. 106.3 KXNO. Hey, Hawkeye fans, Chad Leistico here of the Des Moines Register. Welcome into a podcast-only edition of the Wednesday night Hawk Central radio show on 106.3 KXNO. We are preempted by Cyclone women's basketball, but that just allows us to stretch our legs here on uh, this morning's or tonight's podcast, depending on when you're listening to this. And we have plenty to discuss later in the show. I will be joined by Dargan Southard, uh, who we have not uh, been on a podcast yet to discuss uh, Caitlin Clark breaking the scoring record, uh, the latest with the Iowa women's basketball team. We'll do that later on. But first of all, uh, a big Hawkeye men's win to discuss. Hawkeyes defeat Michigan State 78-71 to in East Lansing at the Breslin Center. Really hard to do. And Tyler Tashman, my Hawk Central teammate, made it up there, uh, was the only Iowa media guy there outside of Gary Dolphin and Bobby Hansen, and uh, got to cover this win. Uh, Tyler, welcome. Thanks for being there. And uh, what was it like to to see the Hawkeyes win in a place that's really hard to win? That was probably the most complete game given the opponent that Iowa's played all season. And, um, you know, given the... At, you know, given the atmosphere that Iowa had to play in, Michigan State's been playing pretty well as of late. Um, you know, I went into this game not necessarily expecting this result. And, and given the fact that the eight games entering uh, Tuesday, Iowa had went four and four over their last eight. Each uh, loss was followed by a win. So they're kind of just seesawing back and forth. And uh, they hadn't won consecutive games since they won that they had that three-game winning streak in January, so this felt like, I mean, given it was Michigan State on the road, tough environment, coming off of a, a win against Wisconsin, this felt like a great opportunity uh, for Iowa just to kind of fall back into the pattern that it has been, and, and because they've struggled to close out uh, road games, especially this season. Uh, I mean, you look at they blew second-half leads uh, at home against Maryland, away against Maryland at Penn State, at Indiana, and that's all as of pretty recently. Uh, but they put together, I mean, even without Owen Freeman, I'm sure we'll kind of go into more of the the flow of the game as we go on, but uh, a pretty, pretty complete performance about as much as you could have asked for on the road. Yeah, definitely. Um, r- really impressed with uh, how they took the Wisconsin win on uh, Saturday and – carried it into the to this game Tuesday night I mean we you know we both sat there you know during that Wisconsin home game uh great crowd but the the Hawkeyes fell behind by 13 early and you're just like oh boy this could be this is basically end of the season they got to win and uh uh, Patrick McCaffrey had the kind of funny quote that that uh Owen Freeman relayed later uh I was told it was kind of misquoted (laughs) Big shock. The freshman doesn't quite get it right. But uh, <laughs> basically, you know, Patrick McCaffrey uh, saying they basically falling out of an airplane and kind of searching for their parachute was sort of the analogy he was trying to make. And they kind of found that uh, in that Wisconsin rally, found a way to, to sneak it out in overtime. And that was Iowa's first quad one win of the season, 88-86. to 86. You got to give Tony Perkins a lot of credit in that game. Josh Dix had an amazing game. Obviously, Owen Freeman was tremendous in that game. And then uh, to go on the road 
and then have Owen Freeman pick up two fouls in the first three minutes and four seconds, you're like, oh, boy, this is not going to be good. Uh, you can probably guess Fran's not going to bring him back in in the first half, and you're just wondering how bad is it going to get. Here comes Laji Dembele. And then uh, Dembele just, like, launches a three and swishes it. <laughs> and you're like, okay, maybe this is okay. Then he gets two fouls. And then you're like, okay, here comes Evan Bronze. Uh, how is this going to work? And then all of a sudden, Tyler, uh, I don't know, what did you see happening? I mean, Patrick McCaffrey certainly went on his own little mini run. Uh, you know, Ben Crickey probably had his best game as a Hawkeye. And uh, Peyton Sanford was was just really good, as always. But... Uh, they just put on a, like it was a fifteen to one run, and all of a sudden the Hawkeyes are up double digits in the first half, and Freeman's sitting on the bench, and you're just like, "Oh my gosh, can this happen?" Yeah, and I mean, what Iowa did was because Dembele actually picked up his third foul during the first half. Is uh, Iowa went smaller, and that's where like Price Sanford knocked down a three, and like that just little contribution was really big, and, and Dembele played well until he picked up those three fouls. So when you look at Missing Owen Freeman, who has won Big Ten Freshman of the Week nine times this season. Uh, that's, I think, what made the win even more impressive. Because if, if you would have told me coming into the game, like, Owen Freeman's not even going to play double-digit minutes, and I was going to win pretty, like, handily. Like, they controlled most of the game. I would have been surprised. But, I mean, when you have Price Sanford, who is getting more comfortable, come in and knock a, knock down a three, and Ben Crickey, he was the one that really picked up a lot of the the slack of you know with not having Owen Freeman and one of and he has struggled as of late you know he he started the season off really well transfers from Valparaiso uh, recently though has has kind of uh, slowed down in his production and and maybe even more of an issue than the lack of scoring has been the lack of rebounding given that he's a guy that a front court player that you need to rebound a team that already really kind of struggles in that area. And he had one rebound in 33 minutes against in the loss to Maryland prior to the Wisconsin game. And Fran McCaffrey said he was pretty blunt. Like we need you to be better than that. He had 14 rebounds against Michigan state on Tuesday. Uh, I mean, it just seemed like there was maybe a, a, a better sense of urgency of, of aggression to go after the boards. He mentioned that, you know, maybe in terms of the fundamentals of, of getting rebounds that he realized, well, once he boxes his guy out and kind of contains who his responsibility is for, he's good to go and get the ball. He doesn't need to just stay there and, you know, kind of wait for it, wait for someone else to get it. I think we really saw that uh, kind of renewed sense of urgency. And, and he was just a just a huge part. And I mean, he he really owned Michigan State's front court because they they did not do much at all. He 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 just straight up dominated. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm just looking at the re-looking at the box score here, and you know, Maddie Sissoko plays four minutes, 50, 57 seconds from from Michigan State doesn't do that much. Uh, Hawkeyes actually win the battle of the rebounds in, in East Lansing. That's never that's never done before, and the Hawkeyes win. Tyler, despite shooting four for thirteen from three point range, it wasn't like they were gonna. Usually, you think, oh, they just got hot from three or whatever. Uh, not the case. Uh, you know, only took thirteen three pointers, made only four of them for uh, what's that 30 30.8 percent uh but they get it done in the two point uh two point baskets uh ben Cricky, you know is really good in the lane uh, freeman goes three for three from the floor in his eight minutes scores eight points he's plus 10 on the rating uh as you mentioned price sanford you know didn't play a lot played 851 played the most of any fresh or no i guess dembele played the most of any freshman but, but it was a, a team best plus 12 rating 
uh, for the game. So um, lots of little contri- contributions, like you said. I mean, Josh Dix, Tyler, I mean, he had a great game against Wisconsin. He scored two points with one assist and two turnovers. And, you know, it's just it's crazy to think that they – they kind of piece this together, but you know, to me, you just you go with Peyton Sanford, uh, Ben Cricky, Patrick McCaffrey, and then Tony Perkins did come up with some big moments in that second half when Iowa started to let that lead fritter away. Um, how big did the lead get? It got to like sixteen or fourteen, right, at one point, and then yeah, yeah, I believe it was 16. like sixteen yeah, early 16. in the, early in the second half. Yeah, yeah for, I think it was like forty nine thirty three, maybe or fifty one thirty five, something like that, and it got all the way down to. I think five or maybe even close, maybe even four. And then Perkins uh, made a, made a really nice uh, uh, acrobatic shot in the lane and just seemed like uh, Iowa got the stops it needed too uh, against, against the Spartans. Uh, Spartans were whistled for more fouls than Iowa. Usually don't see that uh, in a Tom Izzo home game. So really just solid performance all the way through only six turnovers as a team. So these are the types of stats that I'm saying, like, that really kind of adds up to to what happened in East Lansing, and now the Hawkeyes have um, some stuff to play for. What did, you wrote about Patrick McCaffrey? I don't want to leave him hanging here. He was so good in the first half, was he not? I mean, twelve points of his fourteen come in that first half when Iowa really needed stuff. And you wrote about how he's kind of finding his role with this team. Yeah, it, it hasn't been exactly the season that. I think some people envisioned and that he was kind of expected to be one of the main options coming into the season, being a veteran guy, but uh, had an illness uh, in, you know, earlier this season. And he, he basically said that it was hard for him to really do it like anything at all. He, he lost, like he estimated basically eight to 12 pounds in less than three weeks. Then he comes back against Nebraska, turns his ankle, uh, showed some photos with me of that. And I mean, it basically looked like a, a, like a balloon animal, like the, like his foot was blown up like a balloon animal, uh, his foot and ankle. And so, uh, but he missed two games because of that. But now, and then the other thing too, is that he, you know, Fran McCaffrey talked to him and Josh Dix because Josh Dix really kind of flourished while Patrick was in and out of the lineup. And, and Patrick as a guy who has started a lot of games in college, it could have been really easy for someone like ego driven to be like, I, I want the starting job back. He, it wasn't that way for him. He said, I don't care. They both said, you know, we don't care who starts. So, I mean, he said all he, you know, cares about is winning and contributing to winning. So uh, that's also, you know, admirable. And, and he's a guy that's been through a lot, not not only in his career, but in his life. I mean, dealing with cancer uh, last season, uh, taking a hiatus due to uh, deal with his anxiety. So, uh, these are just kind of more hurdles that he's had to face and overcome. And, and he's found a nice kind of niche off the bench. Now he's averaging 11 over the last six. It felt like he kind of got jump started by those late free throws against Ohio state where uh, some really clutch ones from the line that helped Iowa seal that victory. And uh, he's been, you know, he gives them another dimension off of the bench in terms of being able to score. And it feels like there's not as much, like it's not as detrimental to Iowa if he has a bad game when he's coming off the bench, because he's not necessarily, uh, you know, Josh Dix has kind of taken kind of that score, that more scoring role. So it's a major plus if, if he adds that boost off the bench. But if he doesn't, uh, you feel like you have other guys that can make up for it. And you uh, you wrote in your coverage, but make sure to check out our coverage at HawkCentral.com. I mean, Tyler has a couple stories up already from 
the game last night. He's going to make his way to Bloomington, Indiana, his uh, home away from home here uh, with the women's game on Thursday night. Uh, but as you pointed out in that coverage, Iowa came into this game uh, in the last eight with uh, no winning streak longer than one and no losing streak longer than one. So um, they were just a uh, loss win, loss win, loss win, loss win. And finally, they kind of cracked through and, and suddenly – uh, after an 0-3 Big Ten start, Tyler, the Hawkeyes are 8-8 and in Big Ten play. They've kind of navigated their way, uh, you know, with eight wins out of 13 here and, uh, you know, have something to play for down the stretch. I saw Lenardi has Iowa kind of on the fringe of the bubble, so they're not quite to the bubble yet, but uh, they're not quite to the first four or next four out, so they're behind that group. So I guess they're the next eight out maybe. <laughs> If you want to put it that way for the NCAA tournament, but at least they're in the conversation. And uh, as I mentioned on on Twitter or X, uh, you know the Hawks have went from zero to, to two quad one wins uh, in the last four days. And now, uh, if Minnesota could jump one spot in the NCAA net when they host Ohio State on Thursday, and you would have to think, you know, Ohio State's probably due for a loss after a big upset against uh, Purdue. You know, if Minnesota jumps into that top 75, that adds a quad one win because Iowa won in Minneapolis earlier this season. You were there for that one. So they could add three quad one wins in a matter of a week. Then they face, uh, then they have three more quad one games in the final four of the regular season two against Illinois, one at Northwestern, uh, mixed in there as a home game against Penn State. But as you have kind of written for a while, Tyler, there is opportunity. And, you know, given where this season started, where it's been, that's all you can ask for at this point in the season. They've given themselves a chance. And uh, that's, I I think, kind of the biggest thing at this point is if this if the last two games was the Iowa team uh, that they truly are, you you feel like they might have enough left in the tank to make a run at this. And because it felt like, I mean, they played for. They played well for stretches this season. They just have not been sustained, and that was reflective in kind of bouncing back and forth between a loss and a win. But back-to-back wins now against two really good opponents, you feel like you know maybe is this is this an Iowa team that is gaining some substantial momentum? Now they have to continue that. But some insight that that I got after the game I, I thought was interesting was so after the the loss to Maryland. Uh, which was an, another blown second half lead. Uh, th- there was a team meeting. It was uh, th- the day after the Maryland game. It was mostly players only. Uh, Connor McCaffrey, a uh, former Hawkeye, was actually there as well. And the, the discussion in the meeting basically centered around leadership style and being more assertive in that leadership. So being able to deliver constructive criticism, maybe being a little tougher on guys, knowing that it's coming out of a place from tough love. Uh, the guys that that spoke up were ones you would expect. Patrick McCaffrey, Peyton Sanford, uh, Tony Perkins. Uh, there were some young guys too. Uh, Brock Harding, Laji Dembele. Uh, Connor McCaffrey also gave his thoughts on, on where Iowa was. And he, he's a guy that uh, is well respected in terms of the leader, the way that he was able to lead when he was at Iowa, um, and, and Tony Perkins, his message basically, and I'm going to try to find uh, the quote here. This, this this is what his message was, uh, according to what he told me, is a few games where we should have won, we allowed them to bully us. 
it's time to be the bully now. It's time to be the bully. Like certain rebounds, we get bullied. Defense, we get moved out of our stuff. We get bullied. Like I said, it's time to it's time for us to be the bullies now. I think that was really reflective in the last two games because it felt like there was times this season where Iowa was waiting to get punched in the mouth. Like it, it wasn't the aggressor. And the last two games against Wisconsin and against Michigan State, it felt like they were much more assertive, much more aggressive. They were trying to take control of their destiny rather than just kind of seeing where it would take them. So, you know, that that meeting isn't doesn't have some magic potion. It's not going to like ensure that Iowa wins out. But uh, it, it did kind of hint at a change in mindset. And I, I think that that uh, that has been really evident over the last two games. Yeah, good reporting from up there, Tyler. Nice job. Uh, I, I texted you this earlier in the game, but the first time I covered a game in the Breslin Center, uh, I covered an Iowa win. That was in 2016, uh, Jared Utoff's senior year. They they went up there and dominated. I think it was like 76-59, something like that. And uh, and now you've done it too. This is the first time you've ever been in the Breslin Center, right? You didn't cover them. You weren't up there when you covered Indiana, right? No, no, that was my first time there. Yeah, what'd you think, by the way? Um, I thought it was really cool. It almost like it kind of reminded me of a Coliseum. Like mm-hmm. everything was kind of r- almost like on top of the court. Uh, it was a good atmosphere, but to be honest, I mean, Iowa made it as poor of an atmosphere <laughs> as you probably could yeah. could have had. And it, it's funny because like time running down, I was up by a lot, and and fans are just like ex- mass exodus uh, towards the exit. And I'm like, uh, Michigan State has the has the chance to do the funniest thing right now, given what Iowa did mm-hmm. in Iowa City last season, and like erase that cr- like that crazy deficit in the the, the final kind of stretch of the game. Well, it wouldn't that it wouldn't have been funny for no Iowa no, fans. Michigan State did that, but it was like <laughs> if they would have if they would have returned the favor, that would have been crazy. But that didn't happen. So yeah, and this was a Michigan State team that was surging. It had won eight of its last ten games. Uh, I put them in my top 25 on my AP ballot. I put them number 25, and I know they were close. They didn't get in, but they've. this is a surging team. Uh, had It was 15 in Kempom, so like this is a, a 20 in the net. So this was a really good win for the Hawkeyes on the road. It'll obviously stay as a quad one win. But now let's look ahead quick, Tyler, just like what it would take. What would it take for Iowa to get into the NCAA tournament? You and I were texting about this last night a little bit. We don't know. We don't know how the how the rest of the teams in the bubble are going to do. But I feel like uh, where I landed was you've probably got to somehow go th- at least three and one in these last four, which isn't going to be easy. You play Illinois twice, uh, which is number nine in Ken Palm, so that's not going to be easy. But you get one of them at home. I mean, this Sunday, this Saturday, I'm sorry, at Illinois, definitely the toughest of the group. But Northwestern, um, you know, next Saturday, the uh, March second, is um it's winnable i mean northwestern's been really good at home but uh they're banged up a little bit and then uh, you feel like you can maybe you know get revenge on penn state at home so if they could go three and one tyler that puts them 19 and 12 they'd be 11 and 9 in big 10 play i mean i think that's the best you can hope for to get some consideration and then uh hopefully draw you know a quad one matchup in your first game maybe it's an 8-9 game maybe it's a 6-11 game something or you know something like that and uh, you win that and uh, get to 20 wins and then maybe even win one more. I don't know if it'll – I think if they maybe get that far, if they get to like 21 and 13 and you know, somehow get to the Big Ten semis, I think that would give them a good chance 
Uh, it's hard to say right now, but that's kind of what I'm thinking. So uh, the win last night certainly gives them a shot. No, I agree. I think three and one is probably from where I stand, the most realistic standpoint for Iowa to put themselves in a good position headed into the Big Ten tournament. And I think if you look at that three and one, well, where is that going to come from? I think they need to beat Penn State at home. They probably need to go on the road and beat Northwestern, and then they split against Illinois. So uh, that would put them at three and one. Two and two wouldn't totally put them out of it, but it, it would. They would need to probably win at least two games in the Big Ten tournament. Uh, you know, if you're Iowa, you hope to do Maybe enough three. work. Yeah, yeah. You you hope to do enough work these last four regular season games that you're not in just a total dire spot in the Big Ten tournament. But in that case, you know, Iowa would kind of need to rekindle some of that 2020 20, or that 2022 Big Ten tournament magic where they won. Uh, but you don't want to have to count on that. So, um, right. but the thing is, is look, it's it's difficult. The opportunity is there. But if Iowa can, if if this, like I said, if this is who they truly are, the team that has been the last two games where they haven't even been clicking on all cylinders, it feels like. But they are playing for much more sustained stretches. Um, I feel I feel pretty good that they can go three and one over this last four. I was pretty skeptical. Yeah. Uh, coming into the Ohio State or coming into the uh, Wisconsin game, but uh, may- maybe this team is kind of really taking off at the right time. So a couple things on that before we wrap up. Um, uh, if you haven't read my column yet, I did. Uh, I, I told Tyler I'll write a column if they win. I was like, ah, they probably, <laughs> probably won't be writing a column, but they did, <laughs> and uh, so I did write a column last night. I posted this morning. Uh, a couple, a couple little nuggets in there. Um, Iowa. Now 32 and 14 in the last six years in February games. 34 and 14 if you go back uh, to the last couple games of the 18 seasons that occurred in February. Now you can you know, certainly quibble with with Fran McCaffrey's March record. Obviously, that's well known, but his teams have been pretty. That's a pretty amazing win rate. That's 70 percent win rate in February over the last six years. All have been NCAA tournament teams in those last six years. Um, obviously, the COVID. Uh, pandemic cut short that season, but Iowa would have been about a five seed in the NCAA's that year. So uh, there, you know, you're talking about in contention now for a sixth straight NCAA tournament team. And I think at this point, not that anyone wants to go to the NIT, but there's a really good chance now under the new NIT rules that where Iowa is in the net, which is 62, that they would have a really good shot at being um, in the NIT as long as they don't fall apart down the stretch here. Uh, but, uh, the second point being is they, uh, they now are in contention Tyler for an upper half big 10 finish. And they've, they've done that 10 of the last 11 years under Fran McCaffrey, something that probably gets overlooked quite a bit. I went through all the standings last night before I wrote this column of the past 11 seasons. Uh, the only other team with 10 is Michigan state. They've done it 10 out of 11 as well. Uh, Wisconsin's done it nine times Purdue, um, Michigan and Ohio State have done it eight times, and then you go to Maryland with six. Your Indiana Hoosiers only four upper half finishes in the last eleven seasons, Tyler, and yes. then uh, same for Illinois, only four. I mean, so it's not like uh, that's hard to do. It's hard to do, and I know Iowa hasn't won the regular season, but they did win the Big Ten tournament in twenty two. Uh, so it's not like they're totally inept uh, when it comes to March, but. 
those two things on top of, and then I wanted to throw this at you because you covered this game last year when Iowa went into Indiana last year and dominated on the road. This game to me felt like that game wasn't quite the same margin, but it was like, oh man, here come the Hawkeyes. They, they're coming hard down the stretch. And you covered that game uh, covering Indiana last year, Tyler. Iowa didn't win another game <laughs> the rest of the season. Uh, they lost at home to Nebraska, lost in the Big Ten tournament to Ohio State, lost in the NCAA tournament to Auburn. So uh, that's how last season finished. So obviously we're not saying this is definitely happening, but it does. did it have like a similar vibe to you except covering it on the other side? Is that Indiana game last year we're like, whoa, this team just got my attention. No, no, yeah. I actually did have that same thought. And um, the I guess the, the thing that made me – that kind of brought down the parallel to me a little bit was the fact that in that Indiana game, Iowa just absolutely demolished Indiana in the second half. Like it was not even within shouting distance and Michigan state actually kind of kept it, you know, somewhat close. They made some closer runs at it. So that was, but no, I did have the same thought. And, and the other thing too, um, is it feels like Iowa offensively still has another gear to go. They, they haven't, they aren't a, great three-point shooting team they haven't shot it very well recently but uh because they have uh Owen Freeman who has been so effective in the paint Ben Cricky who has been effective in the paint and then you have like Josh Dix who has a really good mid-range Tony Perkins is great around the rim and then you factor in that their free throw shooting has been great they were 18 for 23 against Michigan State that was 78.3 percent um it feels like Michigan the offense, State was seven for fourteen. That was a big yeah, factor and, in the game. And that was honestly. that was yeah, that was huge. And because Michigan State shoots fifty percent from three, they shoot, they make ten threes. Iowa makes right. four. Uh, but the free throw percentage helps uh, kind of close that gap a little bit. So that's where it feels like almost you know if, if you want to look at at a, a glass half full type view, feels like Iowa's offense. It's still there's still room left for it to get better. Uh, because they haven't had many games where it's just Peyton Sanford, Josh Dix just go nuclear from three. Um, so I, you know, if you right. if you look if you want a more positive spin to look on things, you know, I think Iowa still has room to grow in that area. Yeah, no question. And uh, like you said, I mean, Owen Freeman, we can see his game. I mean, as good as he's been, his game is like at another level right now. I don't think he's missed a field goal in a while. Um, you know, he was three for three last night, eight points, two assists. He had a big assist right at the end when he came back in. But uh, interesting, isn't it? I mean, he, Fran's kind of thin in the rotation a little bit. DeSante Bowen for the second straight game does not play. Brock Harding, um, after a pretty nice spark against the Badgers, plays only two minutes, 30 seconds. So even with the foul trouble to Freeman, Fran's really tightened that rotation. And I'm, I like it. I don't think there's really any reason to sit Tony Perkins or Josh Dix or, I mean, frankly, with Patrick McCaffrey playing as well as he is right now. I mean, with those six guys, plus a little contribution here from Price, a little from Lodgy, you know, a little from Brock, um, you know, you're you're pretty much six deep plus minimal contributions from some of the others, right? I agree, and it felt like earlier this season, Fran really went deep into that bench, and and I think actually as a coach, that's a good thing because you want guys to get that experience to give them a chance to see who is kind of who who can produce and who is ready to to take that stage. But at this point in the season, I was 
top five, six, seven players are pretty good. And I think that you need to ride them as long as they can go because Tony Perkins has been great. Uh, Peyton Sanford has re- been really good as le- as of late. When Owen Freeman stays out of foul trouble, uh, he's probably been one of the best big men in the conference. And uh, I think you'd probably just play, I mean, it sounds simple, but play your best players as many minutes as they can take. I, I don't think this is a the type of situation to get political and, and be like, well, I hope this guy you know, doesn't get mad at me for not playing. No, you're trying to win games. So put the best players on the court. Uh, you know, if put, you know, put yourself in the best chance to win. And I think that's uh, pretty simple. And, and that's kind of what Fran McCaffrey has, has seemed to do over these last few games. No question. Great job, Tyler. Uh, so you're just, just so our uh, viewers, our listeners, uh, our readers know your journey. I think maybe we talked about it last week, but uh you are in East Lansing or somewhere in Michigan uh, as we talk right now, uh, but you're heading to Bloomington for a big women's game and then back through on I-74 to Champaign on Saturday. Quite the whirlwind. Thanks for being there. What's, are you looking forward to those drives? Uh, is it, is it <laughs> going to be nice to be back home for at least a day or two? Uh, no, I'm not looking forward to okay. the drives. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you're holding up okay. You said at least you said you were. That's that's yeah, pretty good. Yeah, this yeah. has been I, a long grind this year for the men because I've been mostly with the women this season. Yeah, no, no, I've enjoyed it. And the thing is, like, so yeah, I'm. I'll be leaving later as we speak. It's uh, Wednesday morning. I'll be leaving later Wednesday to drive to Indiana, a uh, women's game on Thursday, and then I'll leave Friday from Indiana to go to Illinois. And then cover the game, the men's game, uh, in at in Champaign on Saturday. Uh, yeah, no, it's a. I enjoy it though. I mean, this is like you can't really ask for three better atmospheres. Uh, and it's it's three games in five days in three different states. Um, I pick. I definitely picked up some coffee from the. Uh, I'm not a big coffee drinker whatsoever. Definitely picked up some coffee from the uh, hotel. Gonna throw a bunch of Splend in there so I can. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just just uh chug that down and hopefully stay awake for the drive but uh yeah my i i usually in the car just i'll, I'll listen to music audiobook uh you know call my dad or other family members so that that kind of that keeps me awake uh but yeah no it's uh first first leg of the uh first first leg of the trip is done we got two more to go yeah, and uh, hopefully I'll see you next Tuesday at the Penn State game. Um, and, uh, yeah, safe travels, and thanks. Uh, uh, give Tyler some love, Hawk fans out there. He's doing a great job for you guys, and uh, we appreciate him. Thanks for joining me this morning. Uh, go get that Splenda. Go get that uh, extra coffee, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, buddy. <laughs> All right, sounds good. All right, uh, coming up next, we'll have Dargan Southern to talk about the Iowa women's basketball team, as, as Tyler teased. Uh, a big game against Indiana on Thursday night and plenty of Caitlin Clark record stuff to talk about. Uh, you're listening to Hawks Central with Chad Leistico, uh, 106.3 KXNO. Welcome back to Hawk Central Radio here on uh, 106.3 KXNO, podcast only, but I still like to say 106.3 KXNO because they're uh, kind enough to let us share their airwaves on Wednesday nights. Uh, today we're preempted by Cyclone Women's Basketball, but uh, coming at you with a long podcast edition uh, now uh, after a great uh, chat with Tyler Tashman, who is up in East Lansing. Uh, we got, we're going to bring in Dargan Southerd, my other Hawk Central teammate uh, on the basketball beat. Uh, he covers the Iowa women. Uh, big, big week, as everyone knows, for the Hawkeye women. 
we haven't talked uh, on air, Dargan, since Caitlin Clark set the NCAA Division One women's scoring record, passing Kelsey Plum with a career-high 49 points. Uh, we'll just kind of go in sequential order because there's so much to talk about here. Uh, but just kind of reflecting on that night, um, you know, being there with you, I just cannot picture any other way that it really could have gone better. <laughs> Can you? I mean, the Hawkeyes yeah. get a 106 to 89 win. Clark sets a career high in scoring with 49, and basically wipes the record uh, off the board within the first two plus minutes of the game. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. Every every week seems huge with this team now. With you know, the storylines on the court, off the court and all that. But yeah, I mean, Thursday was certainly one of the crowning moments of this season. Um, you know, the biggest thing that stuck out to me was, uh, and I wrote about this a little bit in my story was, you know, we all, everybody in the building knew that she was going to break the record and she was going to break the record, you know, pretty early in the game, only needing eight points. And so everybody was just kind of sitting there waiting for it to happen, knowing what was going to happen. And yet she still found a way to stun everyone with a 23-point first quarter. Uh, really couldn't miss from the beginning of the game. Um, and so I think that just kind of accentuates where Caitlin Clark is right now with, you know, her career and, and matching the moment um, has never been something that she shied away from. Um, and it seems like she continues to do that over and over where you know, a big moment like Thursday, she doesn't just have a good game. She has maybe the best game of her career statistically. So um, it's pretty incredible to watch her kind of rise to the occasion time after time after time. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of big moments probably left in this season as well. But uh, Iowa seems to be in a good spot with this, you know, kind of in the rearview mirror a little bit. And now, as you said, kind of diving back into this big week that uh, is on tap. Yeah, just uh, kind of going back to that night a little bit. I mean, uh, it seemed like uh, it was just it was it was going to be a big weight off their shoulders to get this over with. I mean, we even Lisa Bluter afterward kind of confessed that maybe it did become a little bit of a distraction. Mm-hmm. The scoring record, which I thought I found was a notable admission, now that it was over, because they kept saying, "Nah, it's not a distraction, not a distraction." But uh, she did say it kind of was, and obviously give a ton of credit to the Iowa, you know, visual and social media, uh, video teams, all that stuff. Cause they did an amazing job kind of making the night feel extra special with video tributes from teammates, family, uh, you know, just the whole nine yards was, was really well done, uh, from Iowa's perspective. And so, uh, even though the Nebraska game unfolded poorly, the way it did, it, it almost didn't, it kind of almost feel like it had to happen at home and, and had to happen in this way. I'm gonna be honest. I'm, I'm gonna say something. This may be controversial, maybe not. I think I think dropping the Nebraska game to get the celebration at home in hindsight was probably worth it. Now, again, we've covered many, many times that they didn't throw the Nebraska game to get the home game to have all this, but uh, I think we can all agree that everything flowed so much better in the recognition and the cele- celebratory element of the night with it being at home, you know, you got the, the post game celebration, you got the home crowd, you got, I mean, all the elements that Iowa has built in constructing this, you know, robust home court advantage. Um, you really got to see every element on display. And so, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, maybe earlier in the year, the, the scoring chase wasn't, you know, they were, they were right. And it wasn't a distraction, but I do agree that, as it got, cl- as Caitlin got closer, as the media 
coverage about this particular chase intensified. I do think it kind of was, you know, got harder to block out as, as you know, the record got closer to falling. So, um, again, I think everybody is happy that it happened at home, happy at, at what the scene was. Um, but I would imagine everybody's ready to, to kind of move on with Iowa and, and see how this season ends. Cause there's a lot of, a lot of big basketball left for sure. Absolutely. And, uh, as Scott Docterman and I kind of pointed out on the legends and listeners last week, you know, after, you know, we, we advanced the game, but, uh, mm-hmm. talked about like, it's perfect timing in a way to break the record and then have a whole week off uh, from right. games. I mean, they've needed kind of a little bit of a break. We've continued to kind of wonder, can will the weight of the pressure of every single night uh, get to this team? Uh, and you feel like at least having these seven days off, Hawkeyes don't play until tomorrow night uh, against Indiana on the road, that, that has to help, right? Well, yeah, especially just because it's such a big game on Thursday. You know, if they had to go to Indiana on, say, Sunday, um, you know, maybe you don't get Iowa's best performance as it kind of looks to move on after the scoring record. But yeah, I mean, I think this reset is is perfectly timed, um, given all the exhausting elements that are in play with this season um, that we've talked about and have been there really the whole way through. So um, a big game on Thursday that Iowa kind of doesn't necessarily need to get, but if it wants to certainly have any hope of winning an outright Big Ten title, um, it certainly needs to win on Thursday as well. And so um, you would like to think that the the week off kind of did what it was supposed to and cleared everybody's minds and has everybody back dialed in on the season ahead. Got my audio levels messed up there. Sorry about that. Nice. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Clark, uh, just uh, so we know, the scorecard, uh, she's at 3,569 points. Uh, Plum way in the rear view now at 35-27. Obviously, Lynette Woodard uh, before the NCAA still yet to pass. And then Pistol Pete Maravich is looming at 36-67. I wrote about that. That's a 54-year-old Division One mark. Uh, he is the all-time uh, Division One scoring record holder. Uh, I wrote a big piece. We're not going to dive into all the details of it now, but it sort of uh, was, uh, I don't know, just felt the urge to write it now before it gets too close because uh, we, you just saw it like with the the NBA three the NBA WNBA three point contest stuff even even that which was a great show of men's and women's basketball all at once people still find ways to criticize <laughs> what women's basketball players do which is crazy uh, sometimes to see and I know it's probably not going to help but just kind of wanted to get out in front of the conversation because you know, Dargan, that some people are going to, and it's already started, discredit that Clark is going to pass uh, the great Pistol Pete Maravich with 99 more points. Uh, He only did it in 83 games. He didn't have a three-point line. But uh, I tried to put a lot of what she's done in context with what his career was, which was phenomenal. And I put, and that was kind of devoted the first half of the article into how great he was and how legendary he was, how he drew crowds like she is, how he, you know, shot from range, how he made uh, daring passes, a lanky point guard, um, you know, a lot of really, a lot of similarities, which is kind of cool to write about. But uh, I know you had a chance to write, read through it because I wanted you to make sure it sounded okay. Also, uh, I ran this through a lot of different people before I published it. Um, what did you kind of – what stood out to you? Because I don't want to read the whole article here on the air, but uh, what, what kind of stood out as you 
looked at kind of Pistol Pete's career. Uh, again, somebody who didn't get to see Pistol Pete, you're younger than <laughs> you're younger than I am, and I didn't see Pistol Pete. So, um, what were your thoughts, kind of, as you analyze kind of what he's done and what Clark's done? Yeah, Pistol uh, unfortunately exited this world before I entered it, so uh, we did not cross paths. No, <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, like scrolling through your tweet, just kind of seeing the the toxic nature already starting to form um, is inevitable in today's society and again like i think i think some things need to be established that like no one is saying that caitlin clark could have stepped into the sec college basketball men's and scored as many points as pete maravich but like if she scores more points than him that's just kind of a fact and it needs to be recognized for the incredible nature that it is without you know turning it into a whole gender discussion on basketball and so um, I do think it's it is crazy to see how many similarities there are, not just on the court, but like you said, the whole show element that was in play now and and was in play with Pete Maravich as well. And so um, there was a lot of good math in there that that kind of emphasized, you know, hey, Pete Maravich scored a lot of points, but um, you know, the comments that have been erroneously thrown around regarding Caitlin taking forty shots a game. Uh, weren't really erroneous when you're talking about Pete Maravich's career. And so that was kind of interesting to see, you know, how much things really were designed to get him the ball and get him on the on the uh, on the scoreboard. And so, you know, one thing that that I did find interesting, I guess that I guess you could call this a slight on Maravich's career and a bonus for Clark. If you compare these elements is that, you know, Pete Maravich's the first two years that he was at LSU, his teams that he played on were not good. I mean, they were 500 teams. Um, you know, as you wrote, they made the the NIT Final Four, um, which was a different level of accomplishment back then. But um, you know, I think that's that puts into greater appreciation for the winning that has come with all of Caitlin Clark's success. You know, this isn't somebody who's padding her stats and the team is struggling as a whole. You know, this is a team. This is a player who's paired her greatness with team success that has reached a level that, you know, maybe a lot of people didn't think that it could. And so, um, again, you know, it's not a, it's nobody's comparing their basketball, you know, stature or whatever. It's just, you know, when you, when you get to this level of accomplishments, you know, I think it, I think it's certainly noteworthy that, you know, she's going to have more points than him. Um, and another chance to, to bring back the similarities between Maravich's career and hers. Cause there's certainly plenty. Yeah, I want to read a couple lines uh, from the column, one of mine and one from ESPN's Jay Billis. Um, uh, start with the la- I want to start with the last paragraph of, my, of the whole story, um, it's a, which was both players under their own circumstances in their own times drew huge crowds, left unfor- unforgettable marks on their sport, and scored more points than anyone else. That's uh, uh, undeniable that, yeah. This article is not at all a slight towards uh, Pistol Pete, and I thought uh, Jay—I gotta find the Jay Billis thing now. Um, um, well, There's a quote about like saying that <clears throat> that Caitlin isn't Pistol Pete or Steph Curry; she's like her own. Yeah, here person, it is. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he said uh, she is not the Pete Maravich or Steph Curry of women's basketball. She is a singular star in American culture, having cut her own trailblazing path. And so I thought that was a, also a really good way, and to put it, a good perspective from a guy who's covered men's basketball uh, at a, and played men's basketball at a high level. Um, here, 
just just a one little nugget of stats. You guys can go into the story if you want. But if um, if Clark had taken 38.1 shots per game at her current efficiency over 126 career games without the three-point line, without even increasing her free throws, her career total would project to 5,224 points. <laughs> That's 41.5 per game, which is less than Maravich's. But uh, if you proportionally increase her three uh, – her free throw attempts, she would exceed that. So get this, Dargan. Throw in the three-point line and a proportional increase in free throw attempts, as Maravich had. And Clark, at her career rate of 1.426 points per shot attempt, would currently sit at 6,835 points. So That's almost double. She took, yeah, she attempts 19.9 shots per game. Maravich, 38.1. And you could say, oh, well, well, what if you took Kent McCausland and gave him 38 one-point shots? That's not the same because nobody's ever passed Pistol Pete before. Right. <laughs> Nobody. Right. Caitlin Clark's going to do it, and she could shoot 38.1 shots per game. We know that because we see her uh, be very unselfish as a teammate. She had 13 assists in that Michigan game. So, anyway, encourage you to read the story. I did the math. Even if you scale it down to 83, 83 games, uh, with you know, if, if you gave Clark 38.1 shots per game, no three-point line, 83 games. She still would be well past uh, what Pistol Pete did in his 83 games. So, anyway, uh, just a little context. It's nothing against him, but just don't let people talk. Uh, don't let people come up to you and try to diminish what she's done because it is uh, – we're not comparing the two like, like you know, Caitlin would go one-on-one and beat Pistol Pete. We're not saying that. Right, we're right. We're saying uh, what she's done in her time is – actually exceeds in a lot of metrics what he did uh, to assemble a record that has stood for 54 years and still will stand for a long time on the men's side. Yeah, and I mean, could you imagine how how much hate Caitlin Clark would be getting if she was actually taking 38 shots per game and scoring, you know, 40 plus a game? You know, I feel like I feel like people are starting to try to poke and pry at stuff that isn't there, but I don't think anybody could handle that if she was actually taking that many shots. So, and scoring that much because obviously, you know, it's pretty evident that that would come as well. And so, yeah, you know, I think I think some people, you know, aren't mature enough to really understand that the conversation is comparing them in their own orbits as you said, you know, their own time, their own circumstance and their impact in those orbits um because yeah, I mean, you'll see a lot of just oh, you know, Three years, no three-point line. Men's basketball is bigger. All that you'll see plenty of that in the in the days and weeks to come. And so, um, it's nice to have, as you wrote, all the context that comes with it. That you know really shows you know that there's there's more to it than just the the pure overall number. Yeah, and uh, one thing I didn't put in the in the article, uh, it would be, uh, and a lot of people pointed out to me. So. I intentionally didn't put it in there because then the debate would would get hijacked. But Pete Maravich did play in a SEC that was not fully integrated in the 1960s. He was playing against uh, mostly white players in the late 1960s. Not all, but for the most part, that's true. And he played for his father. I did not include that in the story either. There, was, there is an element that <laughs> you have to be allowed to shoot 38.1 shots per game. Uh, right. His father was the head coach. Just another little piece of context it's not anything to diminish what he did i'm not saying that i'm just saying there's more context to three-point line fewer games 
<laughs> it's not all. It's not a simple conversation. So that was the point of the column. Thank you, Dargan, for engaging me on that. Let's move ahead now to the Hawkeyes' next game. Big week here, is it not? I mean, uh, uh, not only the road game on Thursday at Indiana, and suddenly uh, you've got a home game Sunday against Illinois. Uh, against an on the line team that I guess is coming around. I mean, they basically got everybody back, and finally they're kind of coming around. They beat Iowa last year, so this is a really challenging week for the Hawks. Yeah, and Illinois smoked Indiana by 20 points on Monday as well, so um, that's kind of another sign that this week may be tougher on the back end um, as well as it's tough kind of on the front end. And again, you know, this is, you know, Iowa went into Indiana last year and, and lost. Um, you know, they've had some big wins over Indiana late in the year in Caitlin Clark's career that have kind of been, um, you know, propelled them into the postseason. Obviously, last year's is the one that stands out the most. But, um, yeah, I mean, you look at at what I was trying to get done here in these last couple of weeks of the regular season. You know, it seems like based on the bracketology projections that they're kind of on the one seed bubble line, if if there is such a thing. Um, so obviously this would be a huge win, a road ranked win, uh, to, to add to that. Um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, there's still an outside chance that Iowa could get, you know, at least a share of the, of the big 10 title, um, would probably need Ohio state. Well, definitely would need Ohio state to drop, uh, at least one game to have a chance at the outright title. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's another chance for Iowa you know, the last time they were out on the road at Nebraska, things were not handled well down the stretch. Um, we've seen some issues on the road in that regard with blown leads at Ohio State and at Maryland. Um, so I think it's important that Iowa comes in here and plays a, you know, a, a four quarter strong performance um, that could lead to a big win. And then uh, you flip to Sunday and Illinois coming in here. This was kind of interesting that I didn't really realize, you know, Sunday is such a big women's basketball day across the board, but this will only be Iowa's second home game on a Sunday this year. And the first since oh. I think, I think it was Drake way back in November. Obviously they've had some weekend games. They've had plenty of weekend games, but um, it just felt odd that, you know, there hadn't been that many Sunday uh, games in Carver. So It'll be packed. It'll be, you know, it'll be a, a raucous environment as it always is. And so Iowa can certainly, you know, kind of take another step forward as we come down the home stretch here of the regular season as, as Iowa looks to have everything, you know, sharp and in place uh, before the big games come up next month. Definitely. Um, you know, just not many games left. I mean, it, no. we're, we're winding down here. Um, just uh, two weeks left on the Big Ten women's basketball regular season calendar. That's it. Uh, <laughs> and so basically four games in what, uh, 11 days? Yeah, four games in 11 yeah. days to finish. So, uh, And they're not going to be easy games. Uh, all of them are, have their own challenges. Next week at Minnesota, you know, Minnesota's okay. And then home against Ohio State, like you said. So uh, remind me, Dargan, uh, I, I wasn't able to quickly find it. But I they did like the, the early seedings, right, for the women uh, last week. Where was Iowa? Yes. Where was Iowa they, in that? They were five overall. Five so overall. They were the okay. top. Just like last seed. year. Just like last yeah. year. Um, but I did see that after the Michigan win, uh, Charlie Cream, the ESPN bracketologist who does the women's side, Moved Iowa back up to a one seed. Oh. Um, so that's kind of why I feel like right now, you know, there is, even though Iowa is way up at the top, I feel like there's still a good amount for them to play for, 
you know, because getting that one seed, you know, it's not the end all be all. Obviously, they got to the final the national title game as a two seed last year. But, you know, you get that one by your name and, you know, maybe the bracket is a little bit more favorable that way um, for you. So, yeah, it's it's coming down the stretch here. And, and another element is, you know, obviously, Caitlin Clark hasn't made a decision on what she's going to do next year. But if you count Sunday the Ohio State game, and then obviously I think it's a safe bet that I was going to have two NCAA tournament home games. Yeah, I mean, that's only possibly four games left for Caitlin Clark and Carver-Hawkeye Arena. And so that's that's another element that's kind of sneaking up on us and, and you know, laying in the weeds as, as all these big storylines materialize around it. But, uh, yeah, a lot, lot of ways to, to kind of reach the same point that, you know, there's not much basketball left before – March is here, and, and then the intensity really kicks in. No question about it, man. Yeah, it's it's really coming fast. That dawned on me. <laughs> we were kind of just messaging earlier this week. I was like, oh, yeah, yes, yeah, senior day is like next Sunday. <laughs> like, like I know. I know that's not their last game because they get to host. It's a little different in women's. But still, they're going to honor Caitlin Clark, you would yep. think, unless she announces something before then. But, uh, you know, I mean, I think we both think she's probably going to go to the WNBA. We don't know that for sure. She doesn't know that for sure. But uh, you'd have to think that's her senior day. Um, yeah. And, Kate uh, Martin, Gabby can... Marshall, Molly Davis, they're all going to be playing their last. They they cannot come back. Right. Like, this is no, their COVID are, year. So, uh, so end of eras are, are coming very soon. Yeah, and Lisa Bluter did say, I think it was a couple weeks ago, that Caitlin is going to go through senior day ceremonies uh against ohio state so they're treating this like Mm -hmm. you know it could be her last sit you know last few games here and you know again i I think as we get closer to her having to confirm that decision um you know i think we're you and i are both on the same page that you know it's probably a lean toward her going to the wnba you know obviously that'll be another huge storyline that we'll get to um you know more concrete once the season ends but yeah there it just it seems like once once something you know you feel like you have this this team corralled uh, the storylines and then something else pops up that you kind of forgot about and so um that's that's been kind of the challenge for Iowa all year to to stay focused stay locked in on you know the the action on the court and uh you know they've done a good job of that but certainly as we've said more more uh, on the horizon for sure well, let's talk about a little bit about this Indiana game before we go, Dargan. Um, it's a Thursday night game. It's another Peacock game, right? Pretty sure. <laughs> yep, um, Peacock. yep, Peacock game. Peacock's really uh, lucking out here. They got some big. They got uh, big the Iowa games. Michigan State game last night too, and they had those were good announcers. They had Noah yeah, Eagle so, and Robbie Hummel on that. <laughs> it was great. So if you think if you think about what Iowa women's basketball has done on Peacock, you have the Michigan State buzzer beater. Oh wow! The Michigan ru- record setter and uh, Thursday's, you know, top 15 showdown. So Peacock is really, uh, really lucking out here with Caitlin Clark. Uh, yeah, no question. And didn't they, didn't they have the Hannah Stolke 47 point game too? I feel like um, they did. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't, I don't think they had that one, but okay. they did have, uh, the Purdue game where Caitlin hit that crazy four oh, point yeah. play that didn't count. That's right. That was another Peacock affair. So <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, I mean, yeah, I, anyway. I'm sure Iowa fans aren't happy about it, but you know, it is what it is. Well, this will probably be the last, probably the last raucous road crowd they'll face. I doubt it'll be that bad at Minnesota next week. I'm, I'm guessing 
Um, I'd imagine there'll be a lot of Iowa fans. Yeah, but I think this one will be their last real road game because you know, they're obviously going to get uh, you know they'll, they'll have the home court advantage in the Big Ten tournament. They'll have home court advantage the first two rounds of the NCAA's. I think the only way that they would face maybe a, a road tilted crowd might be let's say if they get sent to Albany and face UConn, something like that. Yeah. Although, I otherwise, see, I feel um, like it's uh, it's going to be pro Iowa the rest of the way. So how? Do, what were we going to say? But then, but then also just follow up with, you know, how, let's see how they handle this final road, real big road test. Yeah. You know, I was just going to say on, uh, cream's bracketology yesterday, he had Oregon state as a two seed, I believe going to Portland. So that could be, yeah, a, could a be. maybe. Still. Yeah. I mean, that feels like a stretch and I don't know if Iowa would be the one paired with that, but that, that could be another team that's, you know, doesn't have to go very far, but um, yeah, you know, I, I think Iowa, f- for the most part this year, has done a pretty solid job of handling these environments that, you know, have, have become commonplace for Iowa. But, you know, this isn't really something that, that women's basketball sees all that often. And so um, it did require an adjustment. And, and we've seen, you know, the few cracks that Iowa has shown have largely been on the road this year. Um, you know, the 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 last three um, in particular. And so um, I think it's important that they go in there and kind of conquer that little bit of issue that they've had with not being able to finish the job on the road. And so um, I think it'll be a perfect test for that because I would imagine there will be, you know, there'll be some Iowa fans there, but Bloomington's not exactly right next to Iowa City. So I would assume that there'll be, you know, less Iowa fans there than there have been at some of the other stops that are a little closer. So, um, you know, I think Iowa kind of has become a a victim of its own circumstances in this regard with these late comebacks on the road, because these teams, you know, the building is packed and that's such, um, in some cases a rarity and they kind of lean on that energy, lean on that, uh, environment to rally back and, and finish off Iowa down the stretch. So important that Iowa, you know, can get into the fourth quarter if they have a lead. Obviously, they they need to hold it because, you know, if they cough up another one on the road down the stretch, then, you know, nothing is, is you know, it's not overly concerning, but you do kind of perk up and be like, okay, what's happening here a little bit because, you know, it this, the sample size on that front is growing. So um, plenty to play for and, and plenty um, uh, on the table as well. And, you know, I would imagine Indiana is not going to be too thrilled about taking a, 30 point L in Carver Hawkeye arena earlier this year when, um, you know, they, it was a huge stage for that game as well. So should be a fun one, uh, on Thursday night. Yeah. Not to mention a 20 point L to Illinois. I mean, right. We, we yeah. saw how Iowa came home and, and destroyed Drake. I mean, a, a Drake played great, but Iowa was like on another planet after the K state loss. And then same thing with this Michigan game, they came in and, uh, took care of business at home. So it's, it's, uh, it's a tried and true uh, pattern in college basketball. When you suffer a humbling loss and come back home against a good team, a lot of times you play pretty well because your attention is at its peak. You're going to give best effort. So this is going to be a really tough game for Iowa. I'd almost say it's the toughest game left on the schedule. Would you agree? I would agree with that. Yeah, with it being on the road um, compared to the Ohio State game being at home, I I, I would – feel comfortable saying that just because you know they indiana's 
going to want to get them for sure. Yeah, and Ohio, remind our listeners, Dargan, before we go, what is the tiebreaker for Big Ten seedings? Let's say Iowa wins out, Ohio State wins out, except for losing to Iowa. They both tie with two losses atop the standings. Uh, how does that tiebreaker get settled? Yeah, so the way it works, if the head-to-head is even, is so you start with, uh, in this case, because the tie would be at one and two, you start with the third-place team and compare Iowa and Ohio State's record to the third-place team. And if the tie doesn't get broken there, then you go to their records against the fourth-place team, the fifth-place team, and then on and on until the tie is broken. And so um, that's why it's almost essential for Iowa to win this game because right now Indiana is in third place, and Ohio State only had to play Indiana once this year, and they've already beaten them. And so if Iowa loses – uh, to Indiana and finishes tied with Ohio State, then Iowa would lose that tiebreaker. At, you know, assuming that Indiana finishes third, because Iowa would be one and one against Indiana, whereas Ohio State would be one and zero. Oh. So um, I, I think you know pretty much Iowa would have to win out to to get the one seed in Minneapolis. Um, but you know, if they get a share of the title, they'll they'll celebrate that all the same as we've seen over the years. So. Um, but that's kind of how it works. It's a little complicated. Um, it's a little silly too, but, um, <laughs> well, and then the uh, fourth place team right now is Nebraska, which Iowa lost to, right. uh, and Ohio state beat, uh, candidly, <laughs> I might add. Yeah. Um, so then Ohio so, state would win that tiebreaker as well. It, right. And if Iowa does win on let's Thursday, say Iowa wins out, let's say Iowa wins yeah, out. So then, um, what would, what they would need to happen is because, now, one thing, if if Iowa wins tomorrow, Iowa's two and zero record against Indiana does not beat Ohio State's one and zero record against Indiana. Good even clarification. Had, yes. Yeah. So, really, what would need to happen is Ohio State's only other Big Ten loss was to Michigan. Um, so Iowa would need, in theory, Michigan to finish ahead of Nebraska. That's because you would happen. want to get. Yeah. So because you would want to get to get to Michigan before you got to Nebraska in the standing since Ohio State lost to, to Michigan. So um, it, it's probably going to be the two seed for Iowa, which is, you know, they, they've they've thrived as the two seed in a lot of ways. I think they were the two seed each of the last two years that they've won the Big Ten tournament. So um, not all bad if, if they end up with that, but obviously I'm sure they're gunning for, you know, as many championship celebrations as they could possibly have in this year. Yeah, and frankly – yeah, it just kind of depends on the matchups, really, because you don't want to – like if you're a one seed and you catch eight seed Maryland, that stinks. Yeah. <laughs> or if you're a two seed and catch seven seed Maryland, that stinks. You don't want to – Maryland's getting hot. They're a good team. Illinois is getting hot. You might not I – mean, that could be tricky. So it just kind of depends on the matchup. The seed and, doesn't And the matter. other thing is – the other thing is these teams are going to be – you know, the teams like Maryland and Illinois, Minnesota, Penn State, all those – teams that are kind of right on the bubble, those are going to be some desperate teams in the yeah. Big Ten tournament trying to, you know, a win over Iowa may be right. what gets them in the tournament. So um, I, I think there's no doubt that all three, you know, if it, if they do make it to Sunday, all three of those games in Minneapolis are going to be tough. Great stuff, Dargan. Thank you for joining me. Good uh, good conversation, man. And I will see you, uh, see you Sunday. Uh, yeah. Iowa, Illinois women's hoops. Pink day, right? They're wearing the pink. Oh, uh, yes. Pink day. Always a good one. (laughs) All right. Thanks, buddy. Uh, Appreciate it. Uh, Take care.
All right, for uh, Dargan Southern and Tyler Tashman, this is Chad Lystico saying so long. Thanks for catching us on this podcast-only edition of the Hawk Central Radio Hour, and we'll talk to you next Wednesday here on 106.3 KXNO.